0: When I was at Hippo Camp, Sonia Huber, a past guest on this podcast, author of the forthcoming memoir, Supremely Tiny Acts: A Memoir of a Day. Yeah, she'll be back on the show. She had a talk that was called Tending the Fallow. I love this idea of the in-between, the in-between projects, stories, books, etc. How do you process that period? Is a time when we... It's a time we don't cultivate or don't often cultivate because we always have to feel like, go, 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 go. Got to hustle, hustle, hustle. And so I figured I'd invite my good friend, Ruby McConnell, back to the show to see what she's up to, thinking what she's up to and what she's thinking about, given that uh, we're in that post-ground truth phase. That's her latest book. It was a ground truth uh, geological survey of a life, an incredible collection of essays. I love that book. If you like nature essays and what they mean in the larger picture. And if you just love great writing, you should buy this book. It's an incredible book from a small press in Portland, Oregon. Uh, well worth your money. Anyway, book came out you know, last year. It was an Oregon Book Award finalist. Yeah, is is good. So check it. So this Tending the Fallow gets to the idea of seasonality. Professional athletes or Olympians—they aren't in 100% top shape the entire year. They use periodization and seasonality to dictate their training. There's an off-season, a preseason, regular season, postseason. If you're lucky enough, on and on and on. And in the off-season, it's not like they're sitting around getting fat. Nah, they used to maybe in the old days. Now nah, they're training. They're working on a new skill. Michael Jordan working on that fadeaway jumper. His off-season wasn't lazy. It was allowing the bodies and minds to recover and also develop some new skills so then when the real thing starts up again, boom, you're there. So that's where we're at today. Oh, by the way, this is the Creative Nonfiction Podcast, the show where I speak to badass people about the art and craft of telling true stories. I'm Brendan O'Meara. Welcome. Support for the Creative Nonfiction Podcast brought to you by West Virginia Wesleyan College's low residency and an FA in creative writing. Now in its 10th year, whoa, this affordable program boasts a low student to faculty ratio and a strong sense of community. Recent CNF faculty include Random Billings Noble, Jeremy Jones, and CNF pod alum Sarah Einstein. There's also fiction and poetry tracks. Recent faculty include Ashley Bryant-Phillips and Jacinta Townsend, as well as Diane Gilliam and Savannah Sipple. No matter your discipline, if you're looking to up your craft or learn a new one, consider West Virginia Wesleyan right in the heart of Appalachia. MFA.WVWC.edu for more information and dates of enrollment. And consider supporting the show via Patreon. That's patreon.com slash cnfpod. Shop around if you want to support the community. There's the audio magazine only tier, and then from there you up you go, you get transcripts and some coaching, phone calls, good stuff. I just paid out the writers for the last audio magazine, and you make that possible. The show is free, but it ain't cheap. Patreon.com/slash/cnfpod, and show notes to this and more are at brendanomero.com. <laughs> there you can sign up for my up to eleven newsletter, book recommendations, book raffles, articles, prompts, podcasts, you name it. First of the month, no spam. Subvert the algorithm, man. You can't beat it. So like I said, Ruby is the author of Ground Truth. When we, we we had spoken about it on episode 202. You can go check that out. i will also be in the show notes at <laughs> Uh It's a geological survey of a life, and she's also the author of uh, A Woman's guide to the wild great stuff we talk about how ruby works in the face of hopelessness stalling out all the projects she has going and they are they're 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 exciting and good and i can't wait for them to come out whenever they do just great excuse to have her back on the show am i right uh and also like i said earlier at the top of the show tending the fallow as my good friend sonia Huber would say Credit where credit is due. That is all, Sonia. So good. Ruby is at RubyGoneWild on Twitter and Instagram. You can keep the conversation going at Pod and at Brendan O'Meara on Twitter or Instagram. CNFPod is still in the underage court of appeals on Instagram. Did it die? Most likely. Ruby's work can be found at RubyMcConnell.com. And you can listen to her right now. Kind of in that in that period between projects. So, how have you been tending the fallow, as Sonia would say?
1: Oh man, you know, it's like such an interesting question. Um, yeah, I, I like that language, and I, I think that um, the way that I think about it is uh, that I have to sort of feed my imagination. And one of the things that I discovered um, in, this, in this year of quieting um, was that I do a lot of my writing as what I can only describe as a kind of walking meditation. And I, and I do it specifically in hiking, long distances, often in solitude. And I do that, um, I used to do it with swimming, swimming. And then, you know, in, in this period, I, I wasn't doing as much hiking. The trails were really full and I wasn't, I didn't sort of have that freedom that I wanted to do that. And I certainly wasn't going to the pool. <laughs> and I, I kind of lost mm-hmm. that sense of repetitive uh, movement that was somehow settling my body and allowing my mind to think on a different level than, than, um, I think when I'm actually trying to craft language and, and I don't know, I mean, I feel like a lot of people talk about like, they, they talk about sitting down and thinking about what they want to write or, you know, they they talk about like writer's block. Oh, I I can't sit down and think of anything. I go, gosh, I don't even, I don't even try to sit down until I have something to say, you know? And I, I tend to really just, um, you know, walk away from, I walk away from, from writing very easily, you know, like right now I'm um, (laughs) right now I'm under deadline. Um, Mm -hmm. And I should be writing every day. And because, you know, technically one would think that that's what one would do when under deadline and I'm not writing at all. And I'm not concerned about it. I am processing something and when I'm ready to write it, I will write it and I will write it quickly Um, And it'll probably come out sort of in, in big gulps. So I'm just, I'm just not concerned. I'm, I'm waiting and I'll kind of know when I'm ready. And, and it's, that's something that I've been doing from a very young age, that, that process of what my mom calls percolating. And it's, there's, there's no consciousness to it whatsoever. I turn my mind completely and then I'll wake up here, hopefully in a couple of days (laughs) hopefully sometime soon um, and be ready and, and probably write really productively for many hours and, and well through to completion and with ease it's, it's just my process
0: I like that, I like that idea, it, it reminds me of uh, of uh, like gray whales that will come to the surface and then they'll go on a deep dive and they're down there for a long time and then, then they come back up and I, I love this idea of like going away for a while and just like, you know what, I got to go on this little trip and then I'm going to come back up for air and that's when I'm going to, gonna you know, just do do a little, do some sprinting here and get some stuff out. But you got to step away and, and and recharge in that way. I, I really like hearing you say that. It's a yeah, great Yeah, And process. I think
1: too, there's, there's uh, an element of engaging the brain body you know, I mean, we, we kind of, we like as humans, we, we, we like to sort of think that our brain is just what sits inside our cranium. But in fact, um, you know, like it's, it's a body wide organ that interacts with, you know, all of our other organs and all of our sensory, um, you know, our proprioception. And, and I think for me in particular, because I come out of, um, movement arts, as well as, you know, sort of heady scientific research, I'm very aware of um, needing to feed the whole brain and wanting to engage the whole brain in my work. Um, And so for me, like physicality is an important part of writing process, especially because the task of actually putting words onto paper is so detached from the body. Um, but I feel like the creative part of it for me has, has to happen with that larger brain before I can kind of isolate it down and, and use the, just sort of like the communication part to get it on the page.
0: I'm big on carrying notebooks and pencils with me wherever I go. Like when you, when you go on long walks or hikes by yourself, do you constantly keep some sort of implements on you so you can snatch those ideas out of the ether?
1: No, I don't have ideas.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Bullshit. (laughs) I
1: mean, really, if, I mean, if you were to ask me and my mom does, because my father and I do this. So, I mean, let me, this is, this is so complete, like in my day-to-day life, I, I have to learn, Um, to, to coach friends and people who know me, um, I've learned to say silence means I'm thinking because some it's, it's like people will ask me a question. Sometimes it'll be, you know, a beat and then another beat and then maybe three or four. And like, there's no expression on my face, but I've kind of gone away. (laughs) There's like a deadness to my eyes. (laughs) Um, and it drives people nuts because they can't tell what's happening and I can't give them any information about it. There's no, there's no partial process for me in the vast majority of my work. So like what I do, so, <laughs> so I, I feed it, right? I, I do my research and I um, do like my background. I sort of feed my brain everything I think it needs about a topic And then sometimes I've gotten a little bit better about kind of getting to like a a skeleton outline. And then I put it down completely. And if you were to ask me if I was thinking about my work, I would say yes, but I would not have any thoughts to share with you. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, I go to a very quiet place in in, in my psyche. And then seemingly all at once, I will have, you know, in, entire paragraphs. Far, I mean, I'll just, I'll just sort of know that I can write it, and I'll wake up the next morning and just sit down and start writing. And and if I do have specific thoughts, I won't need to write it down. It will be, it will become a part of my fundamental knowledge base in my brain. It won't be fleeting. It will be a truth that I can recognize and access again.
0: It's it's fundamentally different than I think a lot of people go about it. And it's great to hear you sort of work, work through that and that it is, it's very, uh, I don't know, it, just, it feels more energy or instinctually driven, if that makes any sense.
1: Absolutely. That's, that's how it feels. And, and I mean, that's also a lot of how I learn. Um, I tell, and I tell this story a lot. Um, at sort of events and, and, especially like when I do library events, you know, when I didn't learn how to read until the second grade. And I mean, I, I couldn't read at all. And I could, but I, I could, um, I could like recite the phonetics rules, I could talk about how to read, I could tell you, you know, like I could explain to other kids how to read, and I could do the alphabet, and I could do math. And I could not read at all. And this was, you know, like, like there was like parent-teacher conferences about this. <laughs> this is in the 80s, you know, like this. I was way behind. And um, I went to a school where I had the same teacher for first. We had combined grades for first and second grade. So she was going to get me again the next year. And um, it was a super progressive place, a really, really wonderful school. And she said, you know, she can't read. And I'm not worried about it because she's bright, and she's engaged, and she's interested in reading. And my sense is that she's waiting for something. And so she was like, just, I don't know, read to her a lot and have her be around books. And my dad, my dad started taking me to the beautiful downtown library in um, Portland, regularly, as a special treat on a weeknight, all by myself to go into this massive library and he would leave me alone in the children's library to wander um at a time of day when there weren't other kids there i had i had this whole massive library to myself um and we did that for many months and i woke up one morning and read little women
0: just like out of the out of the blue that was just that, that like was the first was thing there. i
1: read i read the whole yeah. book i stayed in bed i mean Everybody in my family remembers, (laughs) it was like, that, and that's how I write, is I sort of like, percolate, and then it kind of comes out as a whole thing.
0: Yeah, it's like, uh, it's like a, the big, the big swell of the tsunami is really under, under the ocean until it finally spills out on the shore, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and it's really, it's really particular to language. I did something similar um, in college with Spanish. I, I had taken Spanish for four years in high school and it was the only thing that I got see, season. I mean, I, I just, gosh, I struggled. I could not do it. It was mystifying to me. Um, and I continued to take it for some reason, <laughs> even though I was so bad at it. I, you know, my dad spoke seven languages. So, so languages were easy for him. Everybody in my family spoke extra languages so I, I just sort of persevered and I woke up one day and walked into this intermediate Spanish class and could speak Spanish it, to the point that people in the class were like have you been putting us on because it's completely different and I was like yeah I've done this before I've, I don't know it's like the light bulb went on Jeez. I have no explanation That's for right it up. but it's, it's happened several times and, and it's interesting that it seems to be both learning around language and the crafting of language that I, I'm i processing it someplace in my mind that I don't have access to. And I have to kind of wait until the whole picture is there.
0: Now, you, you shared with me that this year you wrote two proposals, five grants, an entire book that'll come out next year, several essays, landed an agent, and yet you're uh, more frustrated than ever. So I kind of... <sighs> Take, take me through with this is. Uh, let's unpack that a little bit.
1: <laughs> and Ground Truth was a finalist for an Oregon Book Award, and I'm still frustrated.
0: <laughs> wow. I, I didn't realize that about Ground Truth. What, well deserved. I just didn't know that. Oh, that's. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it sounds like an incredibly productive year as a, a writer. Like, that's objectively productive and landing your that that I think you've been unagented like your for all your other work, if I'm not mistaken. And now you've got an agent. Yes. So yeah. Like, so yeah. So why, why are you frustrated?
1: Oh, um, well, I'm frustrated. It was frustrating to, to launch two books in a pandemic, um, and to kind of lose that moment. You know, I, I think that especially because, because ground truth ended up, um, being recognized as, you know, um, something worth reading by Oregon Literary Arts, you know, by the Oregon Book Awards. Um, I felt like it really missed its audience, um, even though it spoke kind of directly to the moment. And so that that was frustrating for me that a lot of the a lot of the messages that I had in Ground Truth, I felt like were really necessary and and uh, what people needed, um, and to feel like I couldn't kind of get that out at that time felt frustrating you know i talk a lot about catastrophe and time scale and uh, survival and and perspective in terms of you know scale and time scale and and i think that that really spoke to the pandemic moment um, so that i had some frustration around um that launch which i think you know a lot of people did there's a lot i think there's a lot of great books that got lost in that spring the machine of publishing is very frustrating in and of itself. It's, it's very slow moving. I think the, the process of writing book proposals to me, um, it doesn't really energize me. It doesn't, it doesn't make me, book proposal writing doesn't make me more excited about my book. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because you're yeah. having to sort of parse your work for profit. And you and you're having to um, the way in which the industry is designed to to force you to categorize yourself the the way that they want you to so conveniently place yourself in a familiar place on the bookshelf you know that process right. of yeah. compare you know comparison titling um, you know being this is like and to to be someone like me who is um, really my work doesn't conveniently fit a lot of those niches um so for me like having to sort of bend to that um is frustrating to me and then also um gosh the writing community is can be a tough place Mm -hmm. the writing community can be a tough place and um i feel like it is i feel like the that the writing community uh, that I'm exposed to is not as good at reciprocity as other communities that I participate in. Uh, And that's in a tangible way and also in, um, you know, sort of an emotional and psychological way too, you know? Um, So I felt frustrated by that. But I also, you know, like I had, had some really weird things happen. You know, like I did a, I did a radio panel where one of the panelists was became completely convinced that I had not yet spoken. And this is like a senior writer. <laughs> he was like, Ruby, don't you want to go now? And I was like, man, I just spoke for like six minutes.
0: Oh, man.
1: <laughs> and he was like... And the sound guy also thought that I had not yet spoken. And and the two of them were like having a conversation about me where they were referring to me as Ruby, whatever her name is. <laughs> and it was just like, it was, there was, there was like, there was something about it that I was like, yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is because I'm like, the younger woman on the panel and, and the, you know, like, I I don't know. So I had some strange things um, like that happen. I had a a well known, um, well-respected journalist interview me at length and um, then use my interview as an outline for um, a feature piece. And, quote me almost verbatim and not credit me or mention my name whatsoever for the piece.
0: (laughs) Oh, Ew.
1: Ew. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, I had, um, yeah, I mean, I just, and I had sort of like several of these kinds of things happen where, um, I just sort of thought, you know, like the same frustrations around the outdoor community that led me to write the Woman's Guide to the Wild. I felt like, oh, here they here they are in the writing world this is this is how it goes, like this is how it manifests in the writing world, and it uh, made me tired.
0: I can see that being just so tired and demoralizing, like why even why even put up the fight to <laughs> why, why even? Proceed or endure in this. So there has to be some some element of you know of love of of love in there to you know to stand up and and and, and put and put out the work in the face of such demoralizing acts of a community that is devoid of reciprocity in 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 your experience
1: right you know and i mean I, I think it you know i mean i you know that's not to say that i don't have great relationships with writers that you know help me and and uplift me and um, you know like that. those definitely exist but um man i i really i really had a sensation of sort of you know, it's, it's like trying to get in the lifeboat and having them kind of thunky on the head with the oars over and over again.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, that was, that was sort of my experience, was, you know, and, and I mean, still, you know, like I, I grow really weary of um, male, pre- predominantly male editors in predominantly environmental writing, Coming back saying that they don't understand, like they don't they don't see the point of writing that is largely about the recognition of women.
0: <laughs> I just, Jeez,
1: I can't, you know, like I just I just can't with that as a response. I just can't, you know. So it's just been really interesting. Also, I mean, and I, you know, I actually got I, I got two agents in two different genres within a week of one another. Um, and then, you know, did a bunch of work for one of them and um, was really excited about it. And then uh, she jumped ship suddenly on all of her clients, just pulled out of the industry entirely. So I felt, you know, like there was kind of a lot of spinning of wheels. And, and I don't know how much of that is related to pandemic you know, I had, I had lots and lots of people not be able to follow through in a year when, you know, I was very productive and I did have books to promote and I was managing to stay motivated and I just needed, uh, you know, people to be there and be solid and, and to continue to be productive. And for one reason or another, sort of, it all kind of, when it came when push came to shove and it was okay and then you do your piece that wasn't getting done this year and I don't know if that's always I try you know I don't take things personally (laughs) you know and I'm more than happy to blame the pandemic but I I am hoping that when you know when summer is over that we will see sort of a new energy um, to people because I didn't I didn't feel like I had an, I didn't feel like my army was strong, you know, art of war, how strong is your army this year? Mm-hmm. I didn't feel, and and that made me feel, you know, like that was kind of a, a hard place to sit in what with everything else that was going on. I could have, I could have used a really strong army because I felt like, um, I had momentum and I worry about the loss of momentum even though i'm in this really great place and i feel like i you know i'm like no like you still have it you you know you've got an agent you've got your proposals like you've got irons in the fire but that stall out i think for me was um psychologically hard to take
0: so in the absence of having a strong army around you this year where have you found the strength to do the work that you're excited about
1: i have i'm just i'm like gosh i'm really excited about my projects i got some really great projects going on that i just i can't i can't imagine not wanting to write these books and so i like i think i think that's been really useful also like i dove i did a deep dive into research which for me is always energizing i can you know i I research all day long every day never grow tired of research um I don't think there's such a thing as too much research. I don't think that you can uh, ever dig deep enough. Um, And so I really, yeah, I feel like I had curiosity and excitement for what I was doing and um, the time to, to do it. And um, that has sort of like kept me super motivated, just my own excitement and interest and curiosity about my own topics. Don't write a book. If you don't, if you think you're going to get sick of the topic.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Can you, without giving away too much, can you uh, share what you're working on? These uh, book projects?
1: Yeah, I can a little bit, not a whole lot. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> whatever, Yeah, whatever you're comfortable with. You know, so, some people are like, I, you know, I'm working on it. I don't talk about it. Some people are like, yeah, I'm writing a book about rugby. I, I don't know. But yeah, so I don't know. What are you working on?
1: Um, well I have, um, so I have Wilderness in the American Spirit, which is coming out in fall of 2022. Um, and that is sort of a sister book to ground truth. It's not personal essays. Um, but what I, I do is I use, uh, the Applegate trail, which is a very little known, um, Southern route of the Oregon trail, um, and stories about places and people um, along the Applegate Trail as a long-form analogy for the American relationship to the environment. And um, I use the analogy of the Applegate Trail as um, a framework to talk about how we've arrived to this place, that we find ourselves now with respect to the environment um, and also to suggest a way to chart a path forward. So I'm sort of using, I'm sort of, I've, in my mind, I'm, I'm, building, I'm building a trail. I'm blazing, I'm blazing that trail as I go. And the stories um, that I tell about um, along the trail um, sort of progress through time. You know, so there's the story of the Applegates there, of course, you know, like you kind of hit up the Donner Party because who's going to skip the Donner Party, you know, but there's also a Um, and there's the Umqua Community College shooting. And, um, you know, how are these environmental stories? Well, they're issues of the body and they speak to um, our value system and they speak to what's going on in the rest of the country and the mindset of the people uh, and so for me, that's just, that's just really rich fodder. And um, I got to do a lot of field work, you know, during the the lockdown and, and go to a lot of places um, that were really out of the way um, that people haven't seen, you know, um, and I feel really excited about exposing all of this history uh, that people really don't know, that's so fundamental to the identity of the American people. And, how that has brought us um, to where we are now. So, so that's, that's what I'm working on. It's not actually done yet. I still have a couple of chapters to do. That's the deadline.
0: (laughs) That's the deadline. I was like, is that the deadline you're avoiding right now?
1: I'm not (laughs) avoiding it. I'm percolating.
0: (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Call back. I love it.
1: (laughs) Well, because it's true. You know, it's funny because it's true. Yeah. I'm percolating. Yep on it in part because um i've written myself into current time you know um and i'm i'm sort of grappling with these end of the 20th century chapters and um also with uh, you know my the charting a path forward and this summer i struggled with with hope with you know starting on i think january 6th 2021 mm. um i started to question hope and you know i used to work for greenpeace i've been doing environmental stuff for 20 30 years i used to knock on doors and um the things that i used to canvas about for greenpeace when i was 17 years old have come to pass what used to be a warning is now a reality and um for the very first time as an environmental thinker and activist and writer i really um I struggled to find hope and you, and you can't chart a path forward for people if you don't come from a place of hope. So I spent the summer finding hope.
0: And, and did you over the course of, you know, writing this, this project, is that, is that where you found the hope again?
1: I'm still percolating. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm still percolating. And, and I, and I think that that's because I am waiting to see what unfolds. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that we know what what the contours of this moment really are. So I can't write to them. You know, I, I think that there is an element of waiting and watching and wishing that I have to do in order to, you know, sort of illuminate what things are possible. You can't chart a path forward. If you're still deep in the thickets and thrashing around, you know, like the experience of being lost in the wilderness, um, you're not ever going to to find yourself, which is really, you know, if you if you not, or become unlost, if you never um, calm and take stock of where you are with relation, you know, like at, at the, the process of getting unlost sort of starts with identifying the things around you and recognizing your situation. And a lot of people are lost for a long time before they know they're lost,
0: <laughs> mm, yeah.
1: um, you know, and and a lot of people wander randomly before they stop and take, um, take notice of where they really are. And, and I think that that's, that's what I'm doing right now. I think that, um, we're, we're transforming, and i'm curious about what comes next um so that i can i can speak really clearly and directly to where we really are um because i want i want my work to be you know useful and important to give other people hope and to spur them on to action so i need to get it right and and a lot is being revealed about the last especially 20 years um and what's really been going on under the surface. And so I'm taking time to, to let that, to soak that in um, and to make sure that I'm not working from false assumptions. So I'm waiting. So that's, that's wilderness in the American spirit. And then I have a middle grade book that um, I was, I was sort of brought in to write um, that's, out for submission right now about the International Space Station, Cool, (laughs) which I can't say with a straight face because everybody goes, really? (laughs) And what I have to say to that is um, space writing is environmental writing. Science writing for middle graders is, um, in all of its forms, environmental writing. Science literacy, especially for young people, is environmental writing. Um, but most importantly, I once worked at space camp. And, and pretty, right. pretty much right. nothing qualifies you to write books on space more than being that particular kind of geek. Um, and, and it's an empty spot <laughs> on the shelf. Sort of most curious, <laughs> I have for um, about six years now been cooking on a true crime story. That um, is just a totally fantastic untold story, and it's local. It happened, you know, like a lot of a lot of the things um, in the story happened blocks from my house. It's it's just been a wild ride. It's a it's a different kind of research. It's kind of research. It's kind of deep research that I really enjoy. It is the kind of story where. Every every piece of it, you know, every chapter could be titled, but wait, it gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and that's I'm, a page turner. I'm a super yeah. excited about it. It's the only thing I've ever written that I think is like really got commercial potential. It's really, I mean, it is just such a great story. And I feel lucky to be, um, to have stumbled upon it and um i think it's i think it's going to go i'm hopeful that it's going to go um we'll see we'll
0: see dude it i know you've had a frustrating year but you've got some amazing projects in the works and in the can and and everything i, I can't wait to dig into all this amazing stuff that you've been talking about so this you just kudos kudos for being able to have this kind of year in the face of uh hopelessness and frustration <laughs>
1: i'm really i'm really a very cheerful person oh i know <laughs> i know I, I,
0: every time that we've spoken and the only times we've spoken are on mic i mean it's it's a sheer joy to talk to you and you're an energizing person to talk to <laughs> and uh, i love it i always leave these conversations you know wanting wanting more and i i love i love having these conversations with you and it's uh it's um but yeah but no ma- it doesn't it doesn't matter the the Stakes being what they are, there is a great deal of of hopelessness and despair and certainly the frustration that you've just had to deal with in the publishing world. Yeah, it can break anybody down, no matter how optimistic or cheerful you, you know, can be on a day to day basis.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, but it's a good lesson, like you it's really important to ask yourself why you write. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's I mean, what I was trying
0: to ask you earlier. Just like you know, when you just feel so beaten down, like what is bringing you back to it? Like why? Why keep writing? Why keep doing this in the face of that?
1: Because because none of that matters. Because that's mm-hmm. that is all the facade of the writing industry. Do you know what I mean? That's that's writing Twitter. That's that's um, that's the external part of writing the the reality is is that i think that i have something to say and i think that my writing has purpose i i never i never once in my life i still don't wake up and go i want to be a writer what i do is i wake up and i say i think i have something important or interesting to say and and increasingly um as i've had some small success i say I think that people enjoy the way I say it. And I think I have a, a talent for this. And I think that it's a great privilege to be able to spend the kind of time writing that I get to spend doing this. Um, and and I think that under those circumstances, you just keep going. I look at, you know, writing is a ministry. Hmm. It's, you know, um, and it's, and for me, it is, it's it's a walking meditation and it is um, a, a process that I think is important. I think that dialogue is important. I think that education is important. I think science is important. I think women's voices are important. Um, I think women writers are important. And I think the arts are important. So to allow yourself to stop and to back away from that because the game isn't fun, I think is a disservice to yourself, most of all, but also to your potential audience and, and the people who read your writing. I mean, the, the most disheartening ex- writing experience I, have, I ever had um, produced by far the most beautiful um, responses. You know, I wrote a personal essay for Huffington Post and got absolutely trolled um, just in the worst way by the Christian right. Um, Really vicious on and on and on. And it was really not pleasant. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: But I'll tell you what. Two years later, I still have people write to me and say, I just found this piece and thank you for writing it. And here is my story. And let me tell you, that essay was about love and me marrying my husband. Um, People did not like that. And they, I was told that, that my husband and I are a perfect example of people selfishly marrying for love. And I thought, well, that's the right kind of troll to have. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and what the other side of that is, is I, I could I could do an entire book of love stories people have sent to me in response to that essay. People have sent me stories about marriages. You know, they, they said, we, you, we, our, your story is our story, but we've been together for 25 years and never told anyone because we were afraid that people would judge us like they're judging you right now, like we see in the comments. And tell me the story of their love. Stories of lost love, stories of unrequited love. I have had people write me just because they want to find love. You know, people, people write to me with, with their, their heartache and their celebration of their love. And there is no amount of trolling that could possibly diminish the beauty of someone writing to you and saying, thank you. You have given me hope in love. So you get up and you keep writing, even if you're not making money, even if you launch your book into the void of the pandemic even you know if if your agent has to bail even <laughs> even if you have to revise a million times even if you're going to miss a deadline even even if it's hard or you don't want to or you're, you you're not getting you know recognition or you get cut down by your peers because you are getting recognition. You keep doing it because somewhere out there is someone who needs to hear what you have to say. And if you are authentic and true to, to yourself and, and what you do, your work will find that person.
0: You just gave me goosebumps, Ruby.
1: Well, it's true. It's absolutely true. You know, the, it, it, things have a way, of, the universe is more elegant than you could ever possibly imagine. And the human mind wants to dictate time scale. And that is just not the way it works. So we press on through storms and pandemics and love and loss because you do not know how things will come to pass
0: well it's it, it's so beautifully put Ruby and uh, I feel like I could talk to you for another six hours but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I'll, I'll I'll cut this off because I know we're gonna have several hours worth of of talking in the future when uh, more of your amazing work, uh, hits the shelves and so forth. So I just, um, thank you so much for coming on the show in short notice and, uh, for talking about, uh, talking about the year you've, you've had and the work you're doing. And it's a, it's a great inspiration. And uh, I just thank you for being you and thank you for your work.
1: Mm, Thanks for having me. I really, I really appreciate, um, that you provide a platform for, authors to talk about craft and for us to learn from one another. I think that it's, um, I think it's good for writers to listen to one another.
0: Great stuff, right? Thank you, Ruby for coming on the show. Short notice and thanks to West Virginia Wesleyan college's MFA in creative writing for the support. Also thanks to all the wonderful Patreons at patreon.com slash CNF pod. And I was debating whether to do a parting shot this week or not, and I think that might be indication that it's good enough reason not to. I have something I feel like saying, but I just don't feel like doing it right now. And I'll just sit on that, and I will uh, say it next week. It'll be a little closer to the newsletter time. It'll be after after the newsletter comes out, and it has to do with something I want to put in the newsletter based on an experience I had. And so, yes. So next week, parting shot It'll tether to the newsletter. So if you're not subscribed to the newsletter, come on. Come on now. All right. I feel like throwing some French fries in the air fryer and sitting in front of the TV and watching some mindless programming. You cool with that? Good. So, as I am wont to say, stay wild, CNFers. And if you can do, interview. See ya.